All right, so we're here with Joe Anhalt, and this is a very special episode because Joe here and I used to have a radio show back in college, and this was nine years ago. And Joe is a Chicago cat through and through, but he lives in New York City. I recently acquired the ESPN login of a coworker, and I watched The Last Dance in like three days. I binged watch it because it came out earlier this summer, and uh, they would release like two episodes a week, and the sports world was just going nuts over it, and uh, they would react to it each time, and, and I would tune in, but I didn't really know what was going on, so, so then I got a login eventually, and I watched it all, and right afterwards, I said, I want to talk about this with Joe. So I flew him out <laughs> from New York City. First class. And here we are. I'm very excited to talk about it. And honestly, you know, it's been a few weeks. Actually, it, it seems like it's been a lot longer than that since the last, dan- last dance aired. But it's going to be really fun to revisit this. And I've, yeah, I've wanted to do a deep dive about it and, and just talk more about it. Because, yeah, it was, it was an amazing show. It, I had extremely high expectations for the show, and it, it surpassed them still. So I also have to say, too, that, that Joe... Joe and I are in Chicago right now, but mm-hmm. I didn't fly him out. <laughs> he lives in New York City, but uh, this uh, coronavirus is going on. Yeah. So as soon as the yeah the coronavirus hit in New York, I thought to myself, well, I could quarantine in New York in my tiny downtown one-bedroom apartment, or I could come to Chicago where my lovely girlfriend lives, and we've been doing long distance, and uh, it's been amazing. I'm really glad that I made that choice when I did. And uh, it's, uh, I mean, not amazing circumstances, but uh, all things considered, much nicer to be quarantined with, you know, your significant other than by yourself. So, um, and I got to watch The Last Dance in Chicago, literally like a mile or two from the United Center. Whenever I go running, I literally walk by the United Center or run by the United Center. And uh, I remember the anticipation up to The Last Dance. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Describe your connection with Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, and Chicago. So I was a kid growing up in the 90s uh, in Bloomington Normal, which is about two hours south of Chicago. And I, myself, my entire family is from Chicago. Both my parents grew up on the south side, uh, grew up, you know, steps from Comiskey Park and have been Sox, Bulls, Bears uh, for, for as long as I can remember. And as a kid, basketball was always my favorite sport. I loved to play it. I loved to watch it. And again, like, you can't be a 90s kid without loving Michael Jordan. So, I mean, I wore number 23 as much as I could. Uh, I watched <clears throat> every one of his movies that came out. The, he, he would always make these, like, little, like, 45, 50-minute videos of, like, Michael Jordan's playground or the air up there. Um, and I just remember watching those on repeat. Specifically... I remember watching, uh, they always do like team highlight videos, you know, like, so as soon as they win the championship, the network oh, yeah. like airs, like now uh, you can buy the t-shirt and the commemorative uh, VHS. And I had the 98 one. And I remember watching that literally on repeat and having it memorized, like somehow, some way he scores when he goes up and under on Ostertag, I think it is. And just like all those highlights from 98 just kind of, imprinted on my mind and trying to recreate those in the in the driveway like very stereotypical like <laughs> nine-year-old nine-year-old kid you know wanting to be like Mike so much and yeah was was a huge basketball fan and, and still am to this day and it was it was so fun to revisit all that a lot of those memories kind of started rushing back to me and be able to rewatch those highlights uh and talk about them again as they were new that and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but that was another crazy thing about watching this was, so you watch the documentary, but then you would also watch Sports Center after of people dissecting what happened in the documentary. Yeah. And also keep in mind this documentary, it takes place in 1998, right? So like yeah. 20 plus years ago, we're talking about those issues, right? With Isaiah Thomas on the Dream Team and Scottie Pippen's contract um, and other things that I had no idea about. It, it was just so interesting how this took hold of not just the sports world, but really the, the world, right? Yeah, it was, it was my life for, for a long time. And then you great. lived here. How long, how many yes. years did you live here? <clears throat> um, Pretty close to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, so a little over 10 years. You spent you spent some time in China, though. Too. Yeah, yeah, I did spend so a year like there. A couple of years shaved off That's there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I did. I spent a year abroad after undergrad um, in China. That's another thing to Michael Jordan. Like whenever I told people I was from Chicago, they would say, well, actually, they would say three things. They would always say Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls first uh-huh. um, because Chinese love basketball. And then they would say Barack Obama. And then yeah. they would say... Um, like guns and killings. Okay. Those were like three of the constant things that I would always get when I told people I was from Chicago. But it was always Michael Jordan first. Michael Jordan first. Yeah. Okay. So so what was your reaction watching The Last Dance? It was it was honestly like like visual candy. It was everything like I said at the beginning, it was kind of everything I wanted it to be and more. Uh, and it was it was a time portal. It it was watching this compounded with being quarantine for so long and yeah. itching for content and not having sports you know i'm i'm not as big of a sports fan sports fan these days but you know sign me up for seconds for anything michael jordan uh and so watching it it was so satisfying yeah and it was something that i, I looked forward to every week this was one of the first shows in a very long time that i actually sat down and watched every sunday because i also wanted to watch it with the rest of America and follow it on Twitter and see what people were saying before, during, and after. You know, that's, that's one of the, that was probably one of the m- more fun things about it too, is just kind of uh, watching it with, with the world uh, and then reading about it and listening to podcasts about it. I mean, this literally kind of captivated the, the sports world and a little bit of <clears throat> the rest of the world for four or five weeks, however long it was on. And it's like it's like the most Jordan thing. Oh my like, gosh. Nothing is going on. No sports. Jordan's not exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a, no competition. Yeah. And but it, it's also amazing how much play he gets. Even before this, like anytime he did anything, ESPN had it up and it was probably one of the most click stories of that day. Whether it was a golf tournament or something he said. He just has this this pull because he's Michael Jordan and he will forever be Michael Jordan. He kind of missed the the social media phase and he could create his narrative and he's still doing that to this day. What was super interesting, especially even more recent, uh, there's a small part in the documentary about him uh, not being a very politically active sports figure, which he isn't, which he, he never really has been. But you just can, you can't do that today, right? You see all these athletes, you know, more than an athlete, LeBron James, yeah. even Patrick Mahomes now speaking out about Black Lives Matter. You, you can't not have a stance. You know, Drew Brees, like, you, you can't just not have a point of view, a stance. And the Jordan brand just donated $100 million to uh, organizations, right? Mm-hmm. And MJ would have never done that. But now it's, uh, you, you kind of have to do that. So that was interesting to see just how he's he's changed just from that perspective. Yeah. And I didn't know that story either. That was an interesting story. I, I also went into the documentary thinking there wasn't going to be a lot of new things brought to the table because I felt I was pretty well read and versed on all Yeah, things. I was wondering, did anything surprise you in it? <clears throat> there, Yeah, there were a few things. Um, and as a kid, I wasn't as, I guess, in the weeds as much as I thought I was with like the contracts and the, and the disputes and yeah. some of the more promiscuous things that Dennis Rodman was doing on the sidelines like obviously I didn't follow that as much and I'm sure my parents didn't want me to so that was that was really interesting um just some of the the behind the scenes stories and and things like that but I was I didn't know about Pippen's contract and how he got just royally underpaid and and screwed by the um the organization yeah I didn't know that either a little disheartening but I've always known that the Bulls organization hasn't been run you know amazingly uh and still to this day it's yeah. pretty sad very um, sad i you know I, I loved watching the bulls obviously during jordan <clears throat> and then when when d rose came i mean that was that was the most fun i've had watching the bulls since mj and then obviously he he goes down um which was tragic but i feel like the front office has just always kind of not been there except for the the 90s bulls that was another thing I didn't realize how bad they were before Michael got there. I knew how bad they were after he left. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize how how bad they were. No one really cared about the Bulls in this city. I mean, that was around like late seventies, early eighties. That was when like DePaul was actually relevant in the basketball scene here, which which makes yeah. sense now, right? They went to the 
Final Four in 79 and then had some, some relevancy in the early 80s and then MJ's drafted in, in 84 and then he kind of takes over the And the you even had, from there. I mean, the Chicago Bears are such a force right. in the city as yeah. well and, and still are. Um, and the Cubs haven't done anything until their championship a few years ago. Did your perception <clears throat> change at all watching, watching the documentary about um, MJ, about Phil Jackson or, or the team or, or the organization? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it changed. Um, I also had a very, I think, like superficial understanding of everything just because we really haven't, you know, gone too deep into any of this until this documentary came out, right? Uh, and, and again, it was very easy to control the narrative back in the day because you, it was a one-way conversation, right? There wasn't social media, so there wasn't questioning, there wasn't back and forth, there wasn't what's MJ doing, you know, when the doors close, which, you know, who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe I don't want to know. Maybe that would tarnish his his reputation. And obviously, he had a lot of say in this documentary and what was what was said and what was recorded. But um, I, I think the Jerry Krause thing is what everyone always likes to talk about. Yeah. And I think say what you want about the guy, you, you really you have to give him at least some credit, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Obviously, he had a few of the best players to ever ever play the game, but you you got to keep that team together in some capacity. And that is ownership, management, coaching, players. Like, it, it takes, you know, it takes but it's almost everyone in that. too poetic. It's like the Beatles, just poof, just gone. I think that's At great. the top. You know? I think that's great. And with, yeah, like, if, if you can get out of the top, I think. And I remember when MJ went to the Wizards, uh, which is easy to forget because it was like, what, two seasons that were not amazing. Um, but he, he, he really did have a storybook ending with, with the Bulls. And even when this series ended, I'm um, him saying, I would have come back for like seven, eight, nine. I'm okay with how it ended. Three in a row, a year and a half off to play baseball, which is still an incredible story. Come back, win three more. Like that's... Like, I think anyone who's saying, damn, we could have seven, eight, nine, like, that's just being greedy. It was such an amazing run for those six, eight years, and even before that, yeah. that I'm, like, super happy with how it, how it happened. And also, like, the last dance was so poetic, and Phil knew what he was doing. And, right. and I, you know, we're going to get into this more, but he knew what he was doing. And, and I think he wanted to go out on top with the Bulls. I'm sure he knew he wasn't done, but he knew that run was done, right? Yeah. Uh, and so like, okay, let's finish this on a high note and then go and do our, our next thing. For him, that was the Lakers. For <clears throat> MJ and a lot of other guys, that was you know retirement and things like that. But it was one of, if not the greatest, basketball dynasties ever. And like, how can you not love that? And like, what could have happened? Sure, but like, I'm more than happy with how things were and how things ended. We're, we're also at that age where we just, we caught the tail end of it you and I yes. in our age group because yes. I I don't remember as much about I vividly remember the two Utah series. Yep. So I remember those last two years of the Bulls, I was very present and you know like in third grade we we have these uh, like biography day and you dress mm -hmm. up as like a famous person mm -hmm. or uh, you know, a leader or whatever and mm -hmm. I dressed up as MJ nice. I had the MJ jersey and I tried spinning a basketball on my finger it didn't work out <laughs> uh and i remember to this day like oh he was born in brooklyn in 1966 and blah 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 blah, mm -hmm. and he lives in deerfield and you know it's like yeah. i still remember all those facts yeah because it was jordan and uh my family it was like we took this big trip we took a train in to chicago for one day mm -hmm. and it was like the coolest thing because it was like wow this is this is where mj yeah. is you know yeah um and my yeah. little brother who's seven years younger than me he doesn't remember he asks me about it and it's like so he he's never seen you know this either and people mm -hmm. in his generation or sub generation really fascinating so how did you consume it you did it week to week or yeah. okay do you think do you think the experience would have been different if you did binge watch it or what how do you feel about that it would have been different just because i was also very much glued to the commentary around it so the commentary just wouldn't be as abundant if I were to binge it like two, three weeks later because no one would, or no one's talking about it right now. Right. Um, except us. <laughs> except us. Better late than never. And so I think it would have been very different uh, for that. I do remember when I was watching it, 
I mean, the director did a great job of having a cliffhanger after every episode, um, yeah. and especially after episodes, you know, two, four, six, eight, uh, to make you want to um, come back and, and watch it for the for the next week. So it, it it was also fun to have something to look forward to. I mean, I I'm like not joking when I say I was looking forward to this. Right. Like I knew like Sunday's coming. That means Last Dance, and I I don't remember the last time I've been that excited to watch a TV show in real time. Obviously, this day and age with streaming and on demand, that's great. Um, but there is something to be said about a collective experience. Uh, and, and I love those. The the sense of like community and camaraderie, even if it's just watching a TV show. Like I didn't watch Game of Thrones at all, but I knew that the entire world, most of the world was watching that final episode and I thought mm-hmm. that was cool, right? There yeah. are so many fewer things that are bringing us together, like to experience one thing together. I mean, you could say the pandemic is one, but we're all kind of experiencing that in our individual silos. Um, so it was cool to have just this kind of, and especially me who's you know active and <clears throat> I consume a lot of sports content and uh, Bill Simmons, this was a heyday for him and The Ringer and, and ESPN and things like that. So it was, it was fun to look forward to it. And again, like it was just such a joy to watch. It was so fun to yeah. like, go back in time and also learn things I didn't know about. And, and I thought the documentary did a great job of of going back and forth with like, obviously it was all about 98, but I mean, we went back to when MJ was a kid and growing up and getting drafted and all the other teams from 91, 92, 93, his, reti- his first retirement, um, baseball coming back. It was, it was really cool. There's like epics of his career. And yep. it's, it's like incredible. Yeah. So fun. I can't wait to, it, I don't think it's on, it's going to be on Netflix, right? At some point. I don't know. You, I don't know. It's on ESPN if you yeah. want to watch all of them. Okay. But so, what comes to your mind first when you see the number, the numerals, twenty-three? Michael Jordan. Isn't that crazy? Like anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Anywhere, if you see, if you yeah. see those two numbers. Yeah, a hundred percent. And growing up playing sports, when you saw someone with the number twenty-three, what what were you thinking? You immediately thought that they, I don't know if it was they wanted to be Mike or they just wanted to be the best player right. on the team. Um, I think it was probably a combination of both of those. That's, that's why I wore it. I wanted to be the best. I mean, I certainly wasn't by any means, but I wanted, yeah, I wanted to be like Mike, you know, as, as simple as, as it is. And uh, I think even still today, kids are wearing that. And obviously LeBron wore 23 and still wears... 23 for, I think, for the Lakers. I think that's the most damning <clears throat> argument you can make against LeBron. Hmm. If you're comparing Michael Jordan, LeBron, which is sports media likes to do right now. Sure. LeBron's wearing 23. Game over. Like, he should have yeah. stuck with six. You can't, you can't make that argument if you're always, yeah. always going to be second. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, I actually haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, but is that why Kobe wore 24? I, I would and, so. and in the Olympics, he wore 10. Okay. And MJ wore nine. I also thought 24 because like 24 hours in a day or something maybe, oh. but maybe. I, I, I think it was. I think that too. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why he wore number 10 because MJ yeah. was nine and that's why he went to 24 because yeah. MJ was 23. Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy how, has there been anybody in the history of the world that is synonymous with a number? So in soccer, <clears throat> number 10 is predominantly like the best player on the team. Okay. And I don't have enough soccer or football knowledge to know who wore that first, like the number 10, but that's, I think, pretty well known in the soccer world that whoever wears number 10, like that's the best player on their team. That's usually like a striker or a forward who's the best player. But I don't know if it was like one person who pioneered that, like MJ with 20. But it doesn't, it doesn't transcend that sport. No. The way... I mean, in America, 23, it, yeah. it obviously means something. I don't know, globally, if it does. It's funny you say that, because whenever I see 23 not on a basketball uniform, it seems out of place. Like, I remember when um, Jerry Azuma played for the Chicago Bears. He was this, like, return specialist. Okay. And he wore 23. Wait, was it him or... What, was Devin Hester 23? Devin Hester's 23. Okay, maybe I think of Devin Hester. Yeah. But I think Zuma also wore 23. But anyway, just seeing, like, 23 not in a basketball uniform, for some reason, is, like... It kind of like is weird because whenever you think of 23, you just think of like basketball, MJ, 23, um, red, white, black. 
Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it was even weird, obviously, seeing him in a wizard uniform, but still seeing him in 23, it was like, mm-hmm. made sense. 23, just like that. It's, it's pretty wild to think about. Just that number is just like, it has all these things. Like, my, my brother's 23 this year, and he's like, yep, my Jordan year. Yep, everyone says that. Yeah. Everyone says that. Yeah, so it's, it's wild how it just transcends culture. Yeah, it truly does. I wonder how long that will, do you think, so there's a lot of speculation that Jordan released the documentary because he wanted to like maintain his legacy and kind of stay one up on LeBron, which a part of me certainly believes that. And do you think that the younger generation has, I think they certainly have a better understanding of who MJ was as a player and how good he was, but do you think that's going to have lasting power beyond, you know, six, 12 months or even a year? Like, can a a 10-part documentary have that much weight, as much weight as I think MJ wanted it to have? I think so, because all they know is for something to last, it has to be absorbed into the culture. So Mm -hmm. all they know is that culturally, Jordan's the best. 23 is this. It's the best. It's the greatest. Yeah. And then watching the documentary, even for myself... I was blown away by these highlights. Oh my God. There were highlights in there I had no, I had never seen before. And I just couldn't believe it. One of, Holy cow. One of my favorite, my favorite MJ highlight is they're playing the, the Cavaliers. I don't know if that's, if that's Chicago Stadium or in Cleveland. I think it's Cleveland, but it's those like light blue, almost Carolina blue uniforms. And he like starts at the top of the three-point line on the wing and drives down and basically just like maneuvers through four guys and goes up and under. But it's like, if you put that in slow motion and put some like classical string music to it, it's like a piece <laughs> of art. It's it's like majestic. Art, like art on the court. Truly. And there were times I just started laughing. Oh my I was gosh. like, <laughs> I've never seen anybody do this before. Yeah. There are also Even, some really funny comedic moments in it too. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think going back to it, I think the younger generations will watch this and it just confirms what the culture has has said and what, what exists in culture. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. It, it just confirms it. Yeah. And then now it'll be available, I don't know if, like Netflix or... Yeah, or forever. Any, yeah. So For now sure. it's out there. And I mean, also, the the brand, the sneakers, the the brand itself is now a lifestyle brand that's worth billions of dollars. It's just, that definitely has lasting power, Yeah, you know? And so that's going to be around for, for a while. What do you think Jordan and the Bulls did for Chicago culture? So much. And, and they, they still do. I mean, to my quick anecdote at the beginning of when, when I was abroad in China and I told people about Chicago, I mean, this was, 2011 2012 and people still said michael jordan the first thing i mean they they ripped off the jordan brand in china it's called chow dan and it's basically a ripoff of the mj logo um and there was a huge like ip lawsuit and i think i don't think the jordan brand won but yeah they literally are you know trying to replicate culture right by by Mm -hmm. ripping off this brand and if, it'd be crazy if you tried to put that into a number, like what MJ did for like culture in the city of Chicago, because he, he, he literally put it on the map for a lot of people. Isn't that why sports is so important to cities and regions? You know, Absolutely. it's just a sport, but it's like civic pride and it's, yep. it's culture and it shows. I mean, I look at it this way with Giannis and being yep. a Bucks fan yep. is like a superstar plays in my city. I've been to games where in the same row as me, mm-hmm. people are from Greece, people are from the Netherlands, people mm-hmm. are are from Belgium, like all over the country, and they came to see Giannis, and right. now they get to experience Milwaukee and yep. Wisconsin and the Midwest yep. in America. Yep. It's like because of Giannis, and yep. and that's my favorite part of the documentary is knowing that Giannis is watching it, yeah, and he's like tweeting about it. Yeah. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I uh, I just thought of that, but um, and I know you're a huge Giannis guy, and I've now jumped on the Bucks bandwagon a large part because of you and uh yeah it gives it gives people an opportunity to see uh, and explore a city like i'm sure there were millions of people who came to chicago just to see michael jordan and then they experienced the city of chicago and what what that has yeah. to offer 
and it was it was something new. It was something different because L.A. you have Hollywood, New York you have New York City and the hustle and bustle of Chicago. Um, the the identity of of the city on a global scale before MJ I think was very blue collar right with right. with the stockyards and uh, rough winters and Midwest values kind of simple life being yeah. being nice and and pleasant which we both can relate to and you know I'm sure not a lot of people knew much about it right. Right. Uh, and so they could come to the city of Chicago and, and explore and see what it had to offer. And yeah, he, he's done, and he still does wonders for this city. Like he doesn't live here anymore, right? Right. He still has a mansion up in Lake Forest, which I don't think has, has sold, but you, you can't say Chicago without Michael Jordan. You cannot. Uh, the same, I, I keep bringing up Obama, but it's like Obama, Jordan, not so much Oprah or Kanye West. Yeah, um, good point. Because uh, Kanye, he, you know, he was born here, but he doesn't have, he, he just doesn't spend as much time here. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what Chance does over his career, because I think he wants to stay here and, and loves the city of Chicago. But he's, he's also from here. You know, MJ isn't from here, but he, he adopted the city and, and he loved it. Um, and it was, it was nice to see those moments as well in the documentary of him talking about the city of Chicago and, and his love for it. <clears throat> And being loyal to it and, and wanting to win here and wanting to turn it into a championship club organization. It's cool. Did. Yeah, he, he did. talks about the city and the yeah. fans and doing it for them. Yeah. And you mentioned L.A. and New York. And yeah. and that was like especially the 80s. You know, you had this. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm thinking Boston. I guess Boston, the Celtics and Lakers. And, yeah. and then here comes Chicago just straight up the middle. Yeah, and and it's totally different. It represents. Uh, we've mentioned this before, but like it represents more, more of the majority of America, in a sense where it's like blue collar mm-hmm. and it's just like the working class. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like For America's sure. team. It, For it, sure, because L.A. it can it can't be America's team in the no. way that a Chicago team can. Right. Yeah, and I think that's also another reason why people were able to cling to the Bulls very easy. Uh, and they didn't, no one really hated the Bulls before that because they were so bad, but it's easy to hate the Knicks or easy to hate the Lakers, right? Because the Lakers have always been good. They're kind of like the Yankees, right? Uh, and the Knicks, it's just easy to hate on a, on a New York team. But there wasn't that really, <coughs> was there then? What? Like the hatred for the Bulls, unless your team is... No, I mean, they were never like good enough to hate. Like, why would you, it'd be like if you like really disliked the Phoenix Suns right now for some reason or something. I don't know. No, Maybe. but I mean like the Bulls, like there doesn't no. seem to be that that hate. Yeah. No. And maybe it is, yeah, because of Like LeBron had that villain and those were because of, you know, the decision and stuff. Yeah. But like like I don't did Jordan ever have that? Or in the Bulls? Did people just not like the Bulls because they're the Bulls? How could you I think that's also been kind of the general consensus of what I've been reading and understanding is that he was just way too likable and they were just like way too good. And they were just like the best team ever. Just like, be the best. I, and how can like, you not like that? You just got to respect greatness. Sometimes. Yeah, maybe. And, but also, yeah, like a lot of people don't like the Golden State Warriors when they had their run uh, or the Patriots get a lot of heat. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not a part of that camp. I love watching the Warriors when they're in full force. I mm-hmm. love watching Tom Brady because he's literally the greatest quarterback of all time. I just love watching greatness. I don't, I don't want to hate on their teams. If they're playing my team, sure, I'm going to root for my team. But, um, but I love watching greatness. But, yeah, I think – and I, yeah, maybe it's a mixture of, of all these things we're talking about. But people just love the Bulls. Yeah. Like the approval rating was through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I think it was a mixture of, of a lot of things. But maybe it was that perfect storm of being like – Chicago, middle of the country, so fun to watch, best player on the best team in the 90s where the NBA is having this like huge surge. Yeah. Like, sure, MJ's done so much for the city of Chicago, but imagine, like, he did so much for the NBA. Mm-hmm. David Stern, like, everyone in the league now owes him so much. It's, it's crazy to, to think how much he's, he's done for so many different entities. So what, what accomplishments or characteristics about Jordan stand out most to you? 
um, I mean, accomplish, accomplishments, it's, <clears throat> it's just the winning that, that has to stand out for sure. I think that kind of goes without saying. What about uh, Phil Jackson or just the dynasty teams in general? What, what stands out? Yeah. About their characteristics or is there something that just like when you were watching it just kind of struck you? I think in any like organization, whether it's sports or arts or even business, uh, a lot of it is, you know, the execution of doing the work, but it's also not necessarily the, the soft skills, but just kind of like leading the ship and keeping it afloat and all those personalities working together and who at the top can not only steer the ship, but put the right people in the right places at the right time. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have that, how can you, as a leader, bring the best out of everyone you have, right? In sports, it's, it's easy to see that because you, you know, physically have to do that. You physically and literally have a coach, right, at the helm. Right. You know, placing players, talking with them at practice during the game, uh, literally coaching them. The documentary, I, I didn't know a ton about Phil and, and his background. I didn't know that the Bulls like plucked him out of some random place. Like yeah. that's incredible. Like in Albany, yeah. How, how do you, how do you just like find a random coach who happens to be what he has eleven rings now? Like mm-hmm. arguably the best coach of all time. Eleven rings as a coach, two as a player. As okay, well. so insane. Um, <laughs> like, who who found him? Was it was it Kraus? Kraus? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Like, again, give give that guy props. Yeah, I um, I, I got this book here, so I have an. A friend of mine has my original copy, and I watched The Last Dance, and I'm like, I want to reread Sacred Hoops. Sacred mm-hmm. Hoops is one of my top 10 favorite slash inf- influential books that I've read. And um, Top 10? Top 10. That says a lot. I read Sacred Hoops probably like, maybe originally in like 2012, and I mm-hmm. think I reread it in like 2017. And I reread <clears> it um, in one day. Uh, so I had it, I was like, well, it's too much work to get it back right now. So I'm just going <laughs> to buy a new copy and it got delivered. And then I spent a day reading it and just highlighting everything. And, uh, I couldn't believe like how much, how much I, I like loved it. Like it's, it's, it's different than when I read it like three years ago, mm-hmm. because I've applied a lot of the principles in this book to my own life. And I see the results. Mm. Just like Phil has the results with the team, like the the principles in this book work, and I've seen them work in my life. And I I admire Phil Jackson a lot and his whole coaching philosophy. It's so it's are, so different. Yeah. So at the time, so he's in this is the 1990s, and mm-hmm. basketball then is about like power basketball and like machoism. Yeah. So he basically brought like. Zen and Eastern philosophy into the NBA and really sports as a whole. Um, And his whole goal was to bring mindfulness into basketball where five people on the court are in like their one spirit. His goal is to bring like a spirituality to basketball. Yeah. So, and selflessness. He He wanted to teach selfless basketball where everybody has a role mm-hmm. everybody's role is important to the larger goal which is to win and compete at the highest level and it's about respecting your opponent and doing this dance and he's inspired a lot by the lakota tribe in montana and the plains and zen zen buddhism and mindfulness and then also christianity and the message of compassion compassion and love and mixing all these together to in when a sports games. environment, yeah, <laughs> and uh, so so while it's competition and this machoism and like the more focused you are and where do I even begin? It's like you've already begun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just it's incredible. Like he's known for like not calling timeouts during games, yeah, because he wants his players to figure it out for themselves yeah. because it's them on the court and they should be thinking as one. So that's why the triangle offense, it's about passing the ball around and 
catching your opponent off balance. It's mm-hmm. not about overpowering your opponent, which was basketball at the time. Yeah, It's about catching them off balance and creating opportunities for everybody um, on the team. And so everybody has a role and it might be small, it might be big, but everybody's role is very important. And engaging with them on a consistent basis to make sure everybody knows like that's what we're doing. And Jordan had a buy-in and once oh, yeah. he had Jordan, then like he was good to go, right? Yeah. So Jordan, he was assistant coach for two years before he was the head right, coach with Doug Collins. And um, he talked to Michael, and Michael, whatever you want to do, I'll I'll, I'll do for you because mm-hmm. he wants to win. And he said that Michael didn't fully believe until they won the first title. Really, it took him that long to yeah. buy in. Like, like, fully, like he'll do whatever you need to do yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. But then he realized there's something to like what Phil's saying. With he would have these are grown men who come from a lot of different backgrounds. Many of them from rough backgrounds, and sure. where it's like it's all about proving your masculinity and your physicalness and your ego. Yeah. And what Phil's try tries to do is remove that ego to be at like a focused level, so you can you can execute and be mm-hmm. clear and be as one because you can't. You can't solve the problems if somebody's head is somewhere else, and you, sure. you can't let anger get in the way, right? Because it'll take you, um, it'll take you out of your sorts. And is that why he let Dennis Rodman go to Las Vegas for forty-eight hours during a final series? Yeah. So the thing about <laughs> Phil, the thing about Phil is that he's so he understands that everybody is different. A lot of coaches just have like a one blanket kind of policy. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. And they're strict and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they ride their asses and stuff. And My way or the highway. And Phil, um, and you, you turned me on to this podcast, um, Flying Coach. And it was Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll. And Steve Kerr was like kind of shadowing Pete Carroll. So Pete asked Steve, how are you going to coach? And so Steve's like, oh, what do you mean? Like what offense and stuff? He's like, he's like no, that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's about your principles. Mm. And what, what they talked about on the podcast was, and this is filled to a T, is most people in their lives, they don't reflect on who they are and what their principles are. Like, what do you really stand for? Yeah. And then as a coach, what you need to do is really reflect on that and it unveils yourself. And that's who you are. And these are the principles. And you have to be consistent on those principles. Mm-hmm. It's not about you, it's about serving the players on your team, but with authority, it's not do this because I'm saying it, it's yeah. because it's do this because I want you to be the best that you can be. Right. And, um, and here's how you can do it. Like right. here's how I feel that you can do it. Yeah. And the more you, you know everybody individually, you know what they need and what their strengths are, and it's about strengths, and it's not about having you don't treat everybody the same because everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So you try to maximize the most out of each person yep. because everybody has different strengths. So like Rodman, you know, who's this wild, wild cat that comes mm-hmm. in and <laughs> wild you kind of have to have different rules for him because he's a different person. Mm-hmm. And what you need most out of Dennis is to play defense and rebound. Besides that, like, what does it matter if he goes to Vegas or yeah. not? If he shows up and produces, yeah. it's about results and production and still being part of that team and the team understanding this is who Dennis is so we have to let him be free and be himself because if if you're constricting someone and you're not allowing them to be themselves they can't be the best version of themselves yep you know and if you don't know them in the first place you can't help them right and if if they don't know how to get to know themselves then you have to kind of help guide them right and this is yeah, and this is this yeah. is another thing. He had he would have guys envision. He was big on visualization, mm-hmm. and he would have guys <laughs> visualize safe places, safe spots. Guys would go to their childhood homes or you know whatever it is. And during timeouts, during like twenty thirty second timeouts, he would instead of like drawing X's and O's, mm-hmm. he would have everybody close their eyes and just meditate breathe and visualize that safe place and so when they come out then then they're a lot more focused and yeah calm yeah um in the midst of chaos and the, yeah. the the dance that is competition yeah yeah, yeah. um so he interweaves all these different themes and it's about peace and compassion and love mm. this is a book you know it's phil jackson he's a basketball coach 
and it talks about his basketball journey, but this book reads as just like a guide for life in a way and how you can implement love, peace, compassion, yeah. mindfulness, and clarity <clears throat> into your own life. Yeah. And it's cool to read it again and be like, oh my God, I do this and I have seen results. Like he talks a lot about awareness and I thought mm -hmm. it was really interesting. I, I want to get your opinion on this, but at the very, very end of the documentary, they, they have this like kind of throwaway line that they don't really elaborate on, but someone mentioned that like Michael's greatest attribute was his, he was present. Yeah. They didn't elaborate on it. What, what do you think they meant by that? Michael, it seemed like he was able to amazing, in an amazing fashion, compartmentalize everything and just focus on the task at hand. And for being an athlete, the task at hand is, you know, winning that competition. Obviously, he put in a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes in practice and in play, but when he was playing, he was playing at full capacity. And he wasn't thinking about, literally not, not even thinking about the next play. He was, it seemed like he was thinking about, how can I win this possession? And if this is the last possession, I'm going to go 100% balls to the wall. Mm -hmm. And I think he did that, right? He was a fierce yeah. competitor. So you have to be present if that's how you operate. If you're thinking about the future, if you're thinking about the past, then you, you know, literally cannot live in the present. So Michael, who was the best at his craft for however long he was, he was playing, a lot of that seemed to be because he was so present. And, and also not even just in basketball, but if it was on the golf course or if it was doing yeah. whatever, obviously, you know, the, the documentary talked a lot about his competitiveness, like a, a lot, um, and everyone knows now how competitive he was, but yeah, he was just always wanting to win, always wanted to be the best, always wanted to have fun too. It seemed like he was also just like a really fun dude to be with. Like he's a cool, he had swag, right? I, you know, he was a good looking it? swag, like he had a lot of swag. He was so like charismatic in yep. all the videos. Like yep. I, cause you think of old Jordan <clears throat> and now, and you don't really see much of him and you, you kind of you just see him kind of grumble, it seems like, but you see like him in his prime and just so like athletic and, and just attractive. Yeah, and he's just walking around and he's just like... I mean, he had, <laughs> he had some like, he wore a beret for a while. Like when, yeah. he, was in, when he was in, they did a, a clip of him going to Paris, I think, for like preseason. He had like a beret. I'm yeah. just like, I'm here for it. Like, let's go. <laughs> like somehow he makes that look good. Like he had like a little Hitler stash for a while. Yeah. He had like the one hoop earring. Like he could do no wrong. Phil talks a lot about that in the book. Is just like being present, being present, yeah, mindfulness, and yeah. just like focusing on what you have to do right now. And I can't, I can't recommend this book <laughs> enough to people. It's it's so great and it works. Like what he, the principles that he has, they work. And then you have the first title, and then the first domino. Once that first domino goes over, everything gets. People are a lot more receptive to what you have to say. And in his second book, More Than a Game, or actually, no, this is, he had a book in like the 70s, so I don't know the order of the books, but More Than a Game is talking about his Lakers experience. And once he got to LA, Shaq and Kobe were like, whatever you want yeah. us to do, let's do it. <laughs> whatever you need, coach. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so you see that, just that progression, and that's, yeah. that's really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you about in your own life, what have you noticed about leadership from the sports teams that you've played on or in your career or interests in similar or, or different industries? Mm -hmm. there's, there's a few, I think, characteristics that I gravitate to a bit more and feel are a bit more impactful. And it, it might just be a personality thing, but also... I think you hear this a lot, but on, on top of communication being such a core element of, of really anything you do and in leadership, I think that's huge, but maybe more importantly is being a really active listener and an engaged listener, right? So like not just listening, but listening to somebody and then taking a moment to hear that and then respond to it without, and this is really hard to do, without having any kind of 
pre-thought-out response. Judgments. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, talks about in his book. And that was actually a thing that I I learned a, a lot about through improv training. Actually, okay. is it it really is just a huge study in communication and most importantly listening because in improv. It's improvisation. You're literally not supposed to write a story in your head. You're supposed to react to what your scene partner's doing. So if your scene partner says A, B, C, D, and you respond with, you know, X, Y, Z, there's a disconnect there. So you literally can't be planning the next scene. You have to react to your scene partner. That's what cultivates a good scene, and that's what cultivates a story and progression. If you're in any type of leadership position and whether it's a sports team or at a company or even, I think, in in a family setting, like leaders in our families, whether it's father figure, mother figure, older sibling, whatever, you, you really need to actively listen to those people and respond to what they just said, not respond to what is the, what conversation you're having in your own head. Right. And... There's a saying of, of coaches is if, if they're uh, like a player coach, right? So if they really like care about their players and kind of what seems like Phil does really well is being able to take the talents and traits of his players and mold them together as opposed to having a system and trying to mold the players to that system. That's uh, a great point. Right. And, and I've seen this in, in the business world as well, which is obviously what I'm, uh, most of my experience is in these days, but I've, I've had the, the privilege of working in three early stage startups. And it's been really interesting to see how the, the few different CEOs that I've been able to work very closely with, how they are similar and how they're different. The ones that I think are a bit more successful from my experience have been the ones who are much better listeners, active listeners, meaning when I have conversations with them, they were very receptive to what I had to say and, and, and took that for what it was. And ones that I don't think were as active listeners, it just kind of like there was a disconnect there. It just like didn't work out for, for whatever reasons. But yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot ever since, yeah, the, the past couple of days. But and I think it goes back to a lot of what, what Phil and what you just kind of were talking about is trying to find people's strengths and, and place them accordingly, whether it's sports, business, family, anything, you name it. Um, and it starts with listening actively. What do you think about Jordan's leadership? It's, that's a, kind of a centerpiece of the yeah. documentary. So I don't think he's <laughs> an active listener. He definitely leads by example. Um, Which is probably like the first or second best trait to have as a leader, right? Yeah, I I think think. so. And he says that, right, in the documentary is, I didn't ask anybody to do anything that I haven't done or would be willing to do as well. Um, And he, yeah, literally led by example. He was, it seemed like, one of the hardest working guys out there and demanded a lot from his teammates. And at times had had to be a dick, right? Had to be... Um, had to push people's buttons to to get that out of somebody who maybe in another team maybe wouldn't have had that experience or have had grown that much, right? The the story that was talked about a lot was like the Steve Kerr story and kind of getting in his face and like Steve didn't back down, right? Mm -hmm. And some people respond to it better than others, right? That kind of alpha dog getting in your face. I know... When I was a kid growing up, like I didn't respond to those types of people very well. I was like very yeah. shy and, uh, you know, youngest of four kids, introverted, and I just didn't respond to that. I would have respond more to like a Phil Jackson, you know, more of the um, nurturing type. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's MJ is like alpha dog to a T, right? <laughs> uh, and and what's what's you know what works is that he was the best at it, right? Right. So. Um, he, he got away with a lot more than I think a lot of other kind of those alpha types get away with because he was the best. And when he talked shit, which he talked a lot of shit, he always backed it up. Yeah. Right? There's stories like like Reggie Miller. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't ever talk to black Jesus again. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> like you know. And, and I'm sure like a lot of people didn't like MJ 
but uh, like in the league, you know, like a lot of like his, I'm sure his teammates and also obviously opposing players are like, damn, like this guy is just like so good and he talks so much shit, but he can back it up, right? Yeah. The um, whole, it's it's an, so fascinating how like the entire documentary, these 10 episodes, mm-hmm. you have all these different Hall of Famers with, I'm sure they have their own strong egos and they're all just like, yeah, Michael's the best, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is. And and I think, uh, I mean, obviously I'm a huge fan, but I think I think he's the best basketball player of all time. And I don't know if, I, I hope we could we could see somebody top that because that would be amazing. I love watching the best at anything. So if if somebody's out there who's going to be better than Michael, like that's great. Sign me up because it was so fun watching him. I'm hoping that it's Giannis. But at the same time, too, it's almost like <clears throat> Michael Jordan is, is just on this level that's untouchable. And they'll just be like best players from every era from mm-hmm. here on out. Yeah. But like everybody in the future will always just look at Michael's the best. I mean, that, yeah, I, I don't like comparing eras, but whenever we do, I'm just like, yeah, I think Michael's better than. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on and coming all the way from New York City to be with me and talk about Chicago. Always. Anytime. <laughs> I'm there for a 90s Bulls conversation. Yeah. Any, any day of the week. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. You can follow Joe at Joe Anhalt. Have the type of day that both Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson would be proud of.